Welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett, Stu Hardy, and Dan Murphy. So Patty and the pair of Piffalettis up front for the Legion. There's Scrum here right now, hanging on to a three-point lead in Toronto. Fly it away. Stay there. Keeps it. Offloads. Just wasn't meant to be. He was looking for Duplessis. Again, Peterson trying to play the distributor. That was the combination that came up with the first try. Let's get this done and go eat turkey all day. Start there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the LaRouge Rugby Podcast. And to all our Canadian listeners, happy Thanksgiving. And to everybody else, uh, happy whenever you listen to this. Uh, we are very excited to uh, be recording once again. Um, but we wanted to, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, uh, say that we are very thankful for all of you. Um, our latest episode, uh, which was fantastic with Colby Francis, uh, hit over a thousand views on Facebook, which is uh, very, very uh rewarding for us to see that you guys enjoyed it um so thank you very much uh gentlemen how is your weekend going it has been uh beautiful weather here in ontario and uh i got to celebrate uh my family's thanksgiving yesterday so what have you guys been up to uh i spent my saturday looking for apartments um which you know that's a always a super fun activity i guess it's one of those things that's kind of exciting but uh it's proven to be a uh, an interesting challenge in covid because you had a lot of um we've uh, run into some like landlords being like yeah i would love to show you the place but somebody's still currently living there so we can't because of covid and stuff so um a little bit of interesting uh interesting hiccups that i didn't really uh didn't really think of being an issue so uh the uh, the search kind of continues and working work around it now and then you woke me up way too early on a sunday to uh, do this podcast in so thank you for that this is, I actually got to sleep in this morning. So stop. You shouldn't yeah. go. You, you, how long did you stay up till like two? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Stop being an irresponsible young man. Last night. Yeah. Stu, how are you, my friend? I'm, I'm mad at Derek now. Well, I was you planning, not mad at me. <laughs> I was planning to, you know, go to the gym, maybe catch a film <laughs> in the cinema. And, you know, if I was feeling really rambunctious, you know, hit the casinos. Um, unfortunately, now I can't do any of those things. <laughs> uh, um, poor Stu. So I have um, just been doing meal prep and preparing for uh, my Thanksgiving dinner. So try new uh, cooking techniques and uh, improving recipes here and there. And, yeah, just looking forward to uh, get it, just eating a lot, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of restrictions getting rolled back. Wear your masks, people. I want to get back to doing things. Yeah, wear your masks, wash your hands, and don't be a dink. I think is the best way we can say it. Um, yeah, no, we had our Thanksgiving dinner yesterday. Um, with COVID, my in-laws have been uh, staying here and watching my daughter. So having them here to help cook supper was great. And uh, while they were cooking, uh, we went and took some alpacas for a walk, which was like so much fun. You have to what? 
You've yeah, there's to, there's a to, that, outside outside of Peterborough, there is a uh, alpaca walking hiking uh, like business. So like you take alpacas and you put them on a leash and you go for a walk with them, and they are hilarious. They are just they're like dobermans like they, they're they super skittish but like they'll walk with you as long as you give them snacks every now and then but like if you walk by like a cedar tree they go absolutely batshit because it's like that's their they're like catnip and they just like run through it and stuff and it's hilarious and they don't like they like they like moan they're like when they're like frustrated or like ah, it's it was great my, like my alpaca's name was puck was puck well there you go that's either a hockey reference or an alpha flight reference depending on how nerdy the uh, puck farm is no i yeah <laughs> I, I actually it's a midsummer just night's dream uh reference oh actual like an actual educated person yeah educated no person i know, would know uh, that was my Some thought i'm like oh she really likes like marvel comics wow and <laughs> uh, no she's like oh yeah no uh because there's another one that's alfirion so it's like uh you're oh, you're there's... you are fancy i yeah, see oh, there's some sophistication at this alpaca farm no, it was great it was a lot of fun but gentlemen uh the toronto arrows have been having a little bit of fun uh you know we have been kind of covering their arrow signings uh for the last few months and we thought they were all done and then uh the rumor well, it's been room for a while. I don't think we thought they were all done. They still have to sign more. Listen, guys. there was there was a sign more guys. We thought they were all done in their back line. Okay. And we also talked about Tuchelette, uh in a previous episode where we said he wasn't coming, and then we said he might be coming, and then it's now confirmed. Uh, the Toronto Arrows have signed Pat Parfrey, Jack McRogers, and Joaquin Tuchelette. Now we're going to start with the guys that we know first before we get into the new guy. Um, and we'll start with Pat Parfrey. And uh, Parfrey has shown his jack-of-all-trades abilities with the Arrows in Rugby Canada, um, really from the, the start of the 2019 season um, when uh, Parfrey was with uh, the, the Rugby Canada and then he kind of did his own little uh, studying to be a, a you know doctor. Um, and then he came to the Arrows and really had a, a really strong season with them near the end of it and had a kind of breakout uh, summer with uh, Rugby Canada took over the 15s jersey and had a pretty strong um, World Cup campaign. Um, now, my question to you guys is: Parfrey, even when you look at their their uh, their players roster, he's put as a utility back. Does he have a chance to fight for a starting spot, or, in your opinion? and maybe the coaching staff's opinion is his role best suited as an impact bench player where you can just throw him in wherever there's needed. Um, I mean, I think Parfrey's versatility is obviously probably the biggest strong point of his game. The fact that he can um, play essentially anywhere across the back line, he can play uh fly half uh, center and fullback. Um, so that's, it does have a versatility, a lot of the versatility is there for it, which is obviously that's a super clutch thing to have in a guy coming off the bench. Right. Cause it's like, you know, on a typical bench, you got five forwards and um, three backs. One of those backs is going to be the the replacement scrum half, though. So you only really have two guys for the back, the rest of the back line there. So having 
um, that versatility um, is super important. And, you know, even like, unless you're like South Africa, that'll roll with the six forwards, one scrum half and an extra back on the bench. But even that, like, that's where that kind of versatility comes in. But if you also kind of look at the way South Africa kind of does that is they have guys that start for them that can also shift around as needed. So it kind of, it's kind of up to, I think, uh, comes down to like a form thing, right? Like, and I think what we're going to kind of talk about as we dive into Tukale signing here as well is like the arrows have just absolute unreal depth, right? So if you really look at the team, it's like there's going to be a lot of guys fighting for starting positions on this team because no one's starting position is set in stone. Even if you started last year, like, you know, I'd like to take um, if you're a guys like Mirez and Levis, who'd be like, you're used to starting or maybe Dan Moore was there, but Dan Moore's gone. And now you have, you know, um, you know, you're bringing in guys like Manuel Montero or Tukale that can play on the wing too, right? It's like, you know, your job just got a lot harder if you're looking to uh, earn that starting position. And it goes across the board for pretty much everybody. The centers are kind of, even like the centers, right? We always talked about, you know, how you would have um, Lesage, uh, um, Detroit, Richardson, Jones. And now you also had Parfrey in that mix. And now you're also adding uh, Tukale who can play in that mix too, right? So like centers is also like, you can go a lot of different directions. Fly half, you can go a lot of different directions depending on what you want to do too. And you do have a lot of guys on the arrows that also do have that versatility that can play across the back line or play at least two positions in the back line. Um, so I think it's going to kind of come down to form. And I think you can, I think it'll be one of the great things with the Toronto arrows um, going into the 2021 season is you could probably just flat out pick your back line, like just who you think the best combination of, of, um, of guys is to do that. This is the best combination of seven players um, and work into like how you think that's going to work the best. And then when, and then on your bench, you just kind of can have like the two next guys up because chances are you have guys that like will be able to move around in the event of injury and such that they have to do that. Um, so I think like kind of looking at Parfrey, yeah, Parfrey can come off the bench and he can be an unreal presence off the bench, especially because of his versatility being a very key component of his game. But there's other guys that also bring that versatility. So you can start Parfrey and put someone else on the bench or you can start like you know you can start guys that can play two different positions and then maybe put like Levis on the bench who will only come off and play wing but you can shift a guy from the wing to somewhere else in the uh, in the lineup or something yeah we saw we saw Dan Moore do that a few times yeah shift exactly. to center or shift to wing depending yeah, on where exactly playing. if you if you have as long as I think I think the key thing with the arrows right now is that they're going to have enough guys that can play multiple positions. Um, so you can, I think you can just kind of roll with here's the, what you think is the best combination of seven. You can put your, the two, you can put the scrum uh, backup scrum half and two other um, backs on the bench, uh, but you don't necessarily, but you can also maybe pick those guys and be like, all right, if I put a back that, can only play one position. Say I put like Will Kelly or something on the bench, right? That means, you know, that means a guy like Gonzalez or Tukale or Parfrey or um, someone or Mirez uh, might have to shift around in order to facilitate him coming off the bench, um, right? But you if you can still do that with those guys. So it's like, I don't know if it's, it necessarily locks anybody into a bench position. Obviously, like you said, Parfrey, Parfrey uh, was great for the arrows when he joined the team, he joined um, for the first home game for the home game against Seattle when he came in. Um, 
And then, you know, he had uh, 34 carries, 166 meters, 21 tackles, um, 87.5% completion rate kind of played, played a little fly half to give Malcolm like some little bit of relief when they had, uh, you know, the three games in eight days, played a little center, played a little fullback, did the impact sub thing. Um, so he, he was in his seven games, he was incredibly versatile for the arrows already. Um, he is also undefeated in the regular season. So that's kind of a fun random stat. Um, so he hasn't lost a regular season game yet. And then obviously pursuing the PhD, um, in 2020. So he didn't get into a game, um, during this, this season yet, which is unfortunate. Um, also this is like, I think this is the first, uh, group of, um, arrow signings that has nobody that played in the, uh, that actually played a game in the 2020 season. That's true. Yeah, McRod- both of McRogers' games uh, came in, uh, in 2019. 2019. Yeah, replacing Stephen Ng. Um, so he, uh, in two games there, um, and he uh, has played a total of 17 minutes and has not missed a tackle in Major League Rugby yet. So uh, league leading 100% completion for Jack <laughs> McRogers. I feel like there needs to be like it's like like when you're looking at like goalie stats, it's like there needs to be a minimum minimum oh, minutes flyer. Of course, you do. but hey, it's still a hundred percent. Okay, it's like yeah, there's there's goalies in the NHL that have gotten like that have played like one game, got a shutout, and then never played again. And there's actually a fantastic book about. Um, it's like called like One Night in the Show. And it's actually, yeah. it's a really interesting book about how and it's like stories of guys that only got to play one game in the NHL. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. Um, Stu, I'm going to throw you a curveball question about Parfrey. Um, we've t- talked about on this podcast about, um, you know, kind of blooding the new, new generation of players. Um, do you want to see yeah. Parfrey part of, you know, the next cycle of Rugby Canada in terms of as a starter, or do you think that his role is best suited again as an impact bench player and kind of giving a backseat to some of the younger players? What do you, what, and then kind of all encompassing, what do you want to see for Parfrey with the national team? The issue with being a jack of all trades kind of player is that you become a master of none. You have, um, fly halves and fullbacks and centers and wings that have trained as those positions and then become the best in those positions, which means they're obviously going to be picked ahead of players like Parfait. Um, so I think that you can, now that's not to say that's a bad thing by being versatile, you can have the opportunity to come on as an impact sub and really make a difference for a game. You can also uh, mess with your opponent's game plan because if you come on as, say, a wing for a couple of games and then the next game you come on as a centre, then you are causing confusion and, you know, building a benefit of you being on the team. And I think Parfait should be in that position, the ability position, and will be a benefit not only to the Arrows, but also Canada as a whole. So I think Parfrey would suit coming off the bench and being an impact sub. So I'd say bleed the younger players in their definitive position with the goal being these are the players to be picked for the next World Cup and have Parfait there on the bench, ready to go, ready to cause a bit of disruption for the other teams. And hopefully Canada can get a few wins that way. So 
here's my my worry and i love everything that that Stu said because i completely agree with all of it but when it comes to the fullback position who do we really have like if we look at some of the guys that had been like considered the up and comers uh that would be like theo Sauter. Uh, and Andrew Coe played one game at 15 and played pretty well at the World Cup, um, all things considered. You know, it was the 2019 World Cup at Rugby Canada. The stands were a bit low. Um, and then, you know, even like a, even if you want to go even younger, as Thomas Asherwood is someone that played fullback a little bit. Um, so those are three guys that have played uh, some some type of 15 experience, and they're all playing sevens right now. You know, all of our all of our wing and fifteens are all playing sevens right now, and that Let's. concerns me because Let's. if we want to go with that plan, if we want to go with with what Stu's saying, you know, we have to try and pull those guys away from the sevens program. Which I mean, we've got a year, and then the Olympics are over, and then possibly we might get Co and Solder back. Like I, I have this like conspiracy theory that that's their plan is they're going to play up until the Olympics and then make the jump back to 15s. Cause really they're two really, in my opinion, two really important pieces to the next world cup for Canada mm-hmm. and qualifying. So, you know, that is where I see the cards lying, but I think in the meantime, I don't see any reason why I don't see anybody else that's going to put their hand up at the 15 Jersey other than Parfrey. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's the problem with having guys jump back and forth between 15s and 7s all the time too, right, is that you you do lose out on some players that do play those kind of those skilled positions um, where you need, you know, need your ability to like jump under the fly, uh, like the high ball, grab that. Um, but even especially like 7s too, like just guys that have like speed to burn that are exactly. effective in the 7s game. Um but yeah, like I mean, I, I man, when we saw the Theo Sauter, um, the, through the Repechage tournament, through the World Cup, through the season with the Arrows and stuff, um, he looks he looks to be a great fullback. Um, but yeah, he's playing sevens right now, so he's not. Um, but I think I think as long I think that's why though I think, you know, in kind of listening to what Stu said and Dan, you said you agree with it. I think I kind of disagree with it a little bit. I think if you have those Ooh. guys, I think if you have, like, I think I'm always a big proponent of, uh, we talked about it when we were discussing, like, you know, when we're doing like our world cup lineups and we're trying to figure out where to put DTH and there's people saying center and stuff, but I was like, you got to play them at his best position, which is wing. Right. And I think I'm, I'm a big proponent of play guys at their best position, but I think like, so I, I agree with it in that sense, but I think one, I think fullback is part for his best position. And just and I think his kind of a bit of an X factor is that you can put him somewhere else. He's capable of playing somewhere else as like an X factor thing um, that he can bring to the table. But I think I think you are kind of looking at it. I think he is what he did show going into the World Cup campaign too, a, t- a campaign that did have Theo Sauter involved. In, you know, I guess Sauter was kind of injured for a lot of it too. But um, I think he kind of showed through that World Cup campaign that he is maybe the best fullback in Canada. Um, that game that he had against Tonga where he came on in the, I think it was the 61st minute that he came on, scored a try almost immediately, set up two others all in just 19 minutes of work. Um, and, you know, kind of gave Canada a chance to win that game game but uh that was kind of all him and i think after seeing that it was like he locked in that 15 jersey and i think he still has it 
Um, it'd be, I, I mean, you know, it sucks. It sucks that we don't get to see any international ru- or not any international rugby, but we don't get to see Canada involved in any international rugby this year. It's, you know, they just canceled the, uh, the Halloween series, which, um, to be honest, I thought when that announcement came down, I was like, is this, is this not already been canceled? Um, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, COVID's pretty much, um, Turn, like called an end to almost all international rugby in North America. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that you don't get to see some of these guys that were to be able to build off those world cup campaigns. Cause nobody's like, it's going to be well over, well, it's probably going to be like what a year and a half almost before the next, like if the, if the next tournament is going to be the ARC, what's that going to be? That's going to be like what a year and like seven, eight months between yeah. games right? Like between international games for some of these guys and even like, even the MLR, like the MLR is going to start in uh, March 20th, right? March 20th, 2021. So like yeah. you go to that weekend, that's going to be almost like there's going to be guys. That's going like, to be a year. Yeah. Like the full year, which I guess is part of the reason, like, I don't know, but I guess that's part of the reason that, you know, uh, the arrows are going out, uh, heading out West to Langford for that, like a uh, little like high performance camp with rugby Canada too. Yeah. Right? That was just recently announced. Yeah. Although, although the announcement was very minimal on details of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just with the, uh, the, the more details to come, we'll let you know what's actually happening next week. But, it's on a need to know basis. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, apparently we don't need to know. Um, yeah. But like, I, I think, I think that's good though. Like uh, I, I really want more details on that. It'd be cool to see who's actually going to mm-hmm. that. I think I'm guessing maybe hopefully uh, the other Canadian MLR players that aren't arrows are also heading out to that. But, you know, even like, I mean, even out of that Canadian perspective, you can get guys like Della Vega, Levis, like they've, who've all stayed in Canada too, right? Like they've all, um, like they all have, are going to go over a year without playing a game too, right? So they need some of that game time to get into them. Um, guys like Diana and uh, like a guy like Manuel Diana, who's been named to the Uruguay side for a, a South American tournament there. Like at least, you know, he's, Gonna be he's gonna be the freshest out of all of them yeah pretty much like it's uh like yeah he's he's gonna be the only one that's playing so um that'll be uh it'll be interesting like i think that'll be i think as we kind of get closer to the start of the season i think we're gonna see it in other sports too um we saw kind of with the nhl draft a little bit a lot of teams kind of leaning toward the the european guys in the draft because they're gonna actually play and um i think uh I think it'll be interesting kind of coming into the major, like the major league rugby season. Cause it's like, there's obviously guys that have, or teams that have guys playing, you know, playing in the miter 10 or playing in the Curry cup or, you know, playing somewhere else in the world. That's letting you play rugby. Whereas, you know, most of the American and Canadian players are not playing right now. So that'll be, that could be an interesting one just to kind of see like how fresh guys are going into the season or, you know, what, a what an MLR preseason might look like and stuff. But, um, that feels like a little bit of a tangent from, yay, Pat Parfrey signed. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I tend to make that happen. Um, so looking back at the Pacific nations cup before we move on, uh, two people played fullback and that was Parfrey and Peter Nelson, Peter Nelson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, P- Peter Nelson's back in Europe now too, right? So, um, yeah, he's playing in uh, some f- Division Three rugby uh, in France. So, yeah, so like, he, so he's kind of back over there, and I think like. I don't know. I was like, I, I, I kind of feel like that. Like, yeah. So like, if we're talking like between Par- Parfrey Nelson, I guess Sauter, um, you know, Asherwood, like it's Parfrey's still the best fullback in Canada. Um, even if all those guys are healthy. So, um, 
which I know like, you know, kind of unfortunate for Sauter, but um, you know, he's back now, but he's playing sevens. So it's like, eh, like, I don't know. What are you going to do? Right. Um, Complain about it on a podcast. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's one of those things, man. It's like, we, we've talked about it before. There's positions. There's definitely positions where, um, like rugby Canada, like we need to identify to improve and uh, fullback might be one of them. Um, fly half is definitely one of them. And scrum half is probably something that's going to be coming up with, um, you know, go as we look into like into the future at least, but. All right. Well, let's move on then. Uh, so the next player that we're going to talk about is uh, Jack McRogers. Uh, McRogers is a uh, hooker. Uh, and, and when we look at the, the kind of depth chart in terms of hooker. He's kind of the third string hooker, um, but he joins a pipeline of hookers from the U20 program. Um, now, my question to you guys is uh, with Quachin, uh, uh, he's got the starting two jersey and uh, Ng has got the 16, but does it make more sense to keep him with the Pacific Pride program, you know, train with them and maybe get some meaningful games? I don't know what BC rugby is looking like going into the fall. Um, would it make more sense for him to be there or does practicing with the arrows, but not getting into any games unless there's an injury or a short rest week um, or maybe playing against a lesser squad make more sense? No, I, I, I think you got to keep them in uh, with the arrows. I think that's why they signed them. Um, I think that makes the most sense for them. It's, you know, every, every team, you need three hookers. You, you need them. So you need somebody to do that. And obviously the third, the third hooker doesn't play nearly as much uh, barring injury, as you said, by the barring injuries or suspensions. Um, I think in the, uh, the two games that he did get in, um, like uh, he played um, that record-setting game against the Utah Warriors. He played in the home game against the Austin, f- formerly known as Elite Squad. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, he, like, and he he played well in those games. Like I said, he only has a combined 17 minutes in uh, Major League Rugby, yet to miss a tackle. Um, he's been good though. Like his lineout, his lineout throws are connecting. Um, there was a nice little video of him um, throwing a what was it throwing a ball like off like a basketball net or some sort of target, um, kind of beating Andrew Quatrin in a little throwing contest after training um, earlier this week. Um, so like like he's a, he's a solid player. You need that third hooker, and I think you need you need guys like obviously just in the high performance training environment, right? And I think you know. Even, even if you don't play as much, being on the arrows, being in that environment is beneficial and it will help to develop your game. But I think I think in the two games that he has played, he has showed that he w- is going to be capable of playing in this league. Um, and, you know, I think I think it's, it's kind of weird. Um, I think there's a lot of positions on the Toronto arrows that, you know, you can kind of like, I think we'll, we'll be changing what the depth chart actually looks like between now and when the season actually starts. But I feel like hooker is one of those, like it's Quatrin Ng and Mick Rogers, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for Jack McRogers. He's still a developing player. So, um, but you need that third, you need the third hooker. So if it's going to be, um, if, uh, you know, you need somebody to do the job, so it might as well be him at this point. Um, and I, I, I like it. I, don't, I wouldn't want to see him anywhere else. I think, uh, you know, playing for the Arrows, playing in that high-performance environment is great for your development. And then, you know, as, as you get older, as you get older, as you get better, you'll start to start seeing more game time come in. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where it's like he's – 
he is like he, he, there's only there's three hookers right so you're you're one suspension you're one injury um you're you know you maybe you're uh, even a couple just like hey man like this guy's not playing very well we need to change it up a little bit away um and the team's deep enough to be able to do that right so it's like um like it, it's not it's this season was super short but it's like he would have got game time in this season because it would have had to have come up on either a strategic rest or you know, either strategic rest or, like you said, injury suspensions, whatever would require either Quachin or Ng to come out of the lineup. So we would have been, uh, so we would have got that time. And obviously, too, I think like the Arrows Academy kind of coming in. I don't think you necessarily need to send guys to the Pride. Um, I mean, obviously, the Pride is another great option, but hopefully, like as we're kind of seeing, like MLR teams are putting a lot of effort into building up their academies. And if you can have, like, you know, you can maybe have some guys like maybe like McRogers and stuff that you can kind of like, if you were to, if the arrows Academy is to be playing games, hopefully, you know, in say 2021 or whenever we're allowed to play games again. Right. Um, Like if they're going to be playing games, maybe there's like going to be some outlets to be able to be like, you know, some of these guys that are on the arrows that are going to be the depth players on the arrows that want some game time. Maybe there's an option to like drop them down to the Academy and uh, give them a run out for 80 minutes, uh, you know, against some form of competition too. So, uh, and I, I agree with you, Derek. I think that it is his best place. We had this discussion uh, last season with Tyler Rowland, who kind of was making that bounce back and forth. Um, so it will be very interesting. Sue, my question to you is, you know, how long does it really take, you know, a guy to come to fruition? You know, it's, we always kind of talk in like, in terms of hockey, that, that defensemen and goalies, tend to take longer to develop. Is that, is that kind of similar to, you know, a forward with just in terms of their size compared to a back? Cause we tend to see a lot more younger uh, backs kind of take those starting positions away. Um, so will it take someone like uh, McRogers a little bit more time to kind of develop as a, as a, as a forward? So I can't really speak on hockey, but my mentality is that to be better means you never stop. So now naturally younger players are going to be faster, have quicker reactions. And that's why there's younger players in the backs, but you can still have players in their mid thirties in the forwards. I mean, just look at Alan Wynn Jones, who's still going strong in these 33, I believe. Then So I'd say that it doesn't matter your age. You just need to keep making those minor improvements and you'll become a better player. And to do that, you need to be playing. I agree with Derek. You need to have um, three props in the uh, squad because, you know, suspensions, injuries will come up. Um, So, yeah, I think McRogers... Uh, should be with the Arrows. He should be getting game time, hopefully a bit more this year, a few more games, keeping that 100% record. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, has, has never missed a tackle. But yeah, never missed tackle. yeah he, no, hasn't missed either of them. But that, but that, I, I believe as well that his position is with the Arrows. Okay. Seven. I, I, was, I was told it was two. <laughs> So, gentlemen, we'll, we're, we're going to talk about this big fish now. Um, so, Joaquin Tuglet has had quite the career uh, for Argentina, and he is one of the uh, few players in the world that has played in every pro league 
that is in the world, major pro league. Uh, so he's played for the Sail Sharks. There's in a the, lot of pro leagues. I don't know. I don't know. If yeah, I said. I said. I, I. I originally realized I'm like, oh, he probably hasn't played for the top league. So I said major. So you know, he's played with the Sail Sharks. He also probably so hasn't played in like the Division Two pro leagues and stuff too. Like, there's there's a lot of pro, yeah. pro leagues. Pro leagues is a lot. God, All right, major pro leagues. So he's played for the Sail Sharks. That's the Premiership. Check that off. He's played for Bordeaux, top fourteen. There you go. Cardiff Blues. At the time, is probably the Pro 12, but check that off the list. And he also has played in Super Rugby with the Aguares. Uh, he has also played uh, for the Puma Sevens. So, you know, that is another notch under his belt. And he has also played in two World Cups, uh, 2015 and 2019. Gentlemen, we are getting a player that has a lot of experience. And he's also still only 31 years old, so he still has a lot to give uh, to the Arrows and to MLR. Um, my question to you is, I am someone that does not pay attention to any other type of rugby other than Major League Rugby. Yeah, we know. We know. We can tell based on your takes <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. So funny. Um, who would be a good comparable in terms of his playing style? We're not going to talk about his quality of playing, but and how he plays with the ball. Who can you compare him to, either being on the arrows or maybe someone else in Major League Rugby? Um, I would kind of go with, I think, like his tactical kicking is unreal. He's really good at that from fullback spot. So it's like it kind of, it'll, you know, it's a good fit for the arrows because it's exactly what kind of Sam Malcolm did from the fullback position. A lot of, you know, being able to control the territory, control field position uh, with the boot um, was, was exceptional. Um He's extremely good under the high ball as well. Like you can like pull up any walking to collect highlight reel and you can just watch like, you know, 10 minutes of him just catching balls. It's amazing. Um, he's so good. Um, so athletic, um, great hands. Um, and then he's really explosive, especially in counter attacks. It kind of, you know, you're kind of getting that little combination of like kind of Malcolm for his tactical ability. Um, you get mere a little bit of if you're going well, just go with the arrows. It's a this Canadian rugby podcast. A lot of arrows fans listening. You kind of get that. You get a little bit of like Mirez's um, like explosiveness, especially when he's carrying the ball. Um, you know, the sidestep is there. Um, you can watch him like there's videos of him, man, where it's like somebody will try to tackle to Calais and it's just like a nice fend that it's like just get off of me like, and I'll keep going and get this crazy offload down to a winger. Um, and you know, that'll set up a try for Argentina. So you get a little bit of that. And then, uh, you know, to circle kind of back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, you get a little bit of Pat Parfrey's versatility, except it's a little bit even more magnified. He can play fly half. He can play center. He's played wing. Um, he can play fullback. He can play everything except scrum half, but you know what? Um, I'm sure if you're probably like, put hey, there and Hey fine. dude, you have to, he could play scrum half. He might be able to play in the forwards. Who knows? Um, but, uh, that's a little, okay. That's a little excessive, but basically the point I'm trying to make you can play anywhere from 10 to 15 um which like that's just to have that and a player at this skill level too um and even like to give you like it's it's kind of like so he's got um was it 56 caps for the pumas all so like tier one nation playing the rugby championship the whole time he's beaten south africa he's played on teams that have beaten ireland he's played on teams that have beaten france um he's beaten australia he's scored on the all blacks um so, I mean, like that, like that's the type of guy that you're getting. He was one of, he was, he's been one of the ultimately, like, I mean, he's been one of the best Pumas um, of the last decade. Um, 
you know, and it's just his highlight, his highlight reel is nuts. Like, honestly, like if, 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 as Dan presented this question of being like, if you're someone that's unfamiliar with Argentinian rugby or um, like, just do yourself a favor, type in walking Tukale on YouTube. Um, there You'll get like, there's, there's a decent amount of videos of a man and you can just like see highlights and stuff. And I found one that was even just like, that was kind of crazy. Um, or, or like early in his career, it was 2011 playing for the, in the IRB nations cup um for like uh lost to jaguars before the jaguars and um super rugby it was kind of like a nickname for like was like argentina a which became argentina 15 i couldn't i was trying to uh, it's confusing i was trying to do the deep dive into where does this team name come from but all right so basically argentina 15 de la vega was on that team and stuff too um and there was one highlight where it's like he uh was playing against romania and the romanian 10 puts up like this brutal tactical kick. Like I don't even like, and he just punts it basically right into the middle of the pitch and there's no kick chase. So Tukale just catches the ball and he's standing like on like the old IRB logo and just hits a drop goal for like, just because just he could. <laughs> like there's no, no pressure. Like it was a brutal like tactical decision from Romania. But I was like, this is an awesome highlight. Like it just, he was just like, yeah, drop goal from 45 meters because I can. Um, and that was, that was in 2011 and he's got better. Um, so that's another thing, man. We, uh, we missed that Sam Malcolm drop goal against Rooney, right? So this is another guy that can bring, bring that to the table with a little bit of distance too. But also it's like, you know, how, how afraid are you if you're a defending team kicking to a fullback that can just pump like, 45 50 meter drop goals for fun um so that's an interesting one i think the thing to get really excited about too if you do that deep dive into the walking tukala highlights is all the fun highlights where he links up with manuel montero for a try or from some other sweet play um and you know if you're this is the, the thanksgiving episode and you know we could we could be thankful for a lot of things and i guarantee you if you watch that video you will be very thankful that they are wearing a very different shade of blue and white together again um so it's uh like yeah there's some there's some plays that are just like oh it's like uh we get there was one i saw it was against the sharks in 2017 where tukale just kind of gives like you know just kicks a high ball to himself um gathers it fends off a defender pops an offload and it's just like the winger kind of goes down, or, uh, which is unreal. Well, that wasn't Montero. I glanced at a different try on my notes, but so I didn't really get that that transition was super smooth. But there is other plays. Um, that one highlight that got circulated uh, when Montero signed his unreal try against Ireland. Go back and watch that. It starts with a two-collad take um, just under the high ball. It beats like two or three Irish players that were all kind of chasing it. Um, gathers the ball and is able to start Montero's try um, from that. There's plays where they'll, you know, they're kind of just like interlinking, like it'll be like, a, you know, Tukale will offload to Montero. Mon- Tukale will keep following up in the play. So when Montero gets tackled, he can offload it back to Tukale. Tukale finishes a try. There's, you know, there's there's a lot of great plays like that with the two of them kind of like linking up. Um, but uh, yeah, so like the, it's, it, it'll be nice to see. And I think like, you know, ha- having some of those Argentinian guys that he's familiar with on the arrows is going to be a big help for him too. Cause it's like, you know, you're kind of like, you put the, put them in the back three, put them at fullback with Montero on his wing. Like that could, that could, uh, that's going to do some damage in major league rugby, man. Yeah. When it comes to playing style, I think uh, Derek's hit like the nail on the head. Um, seriously, even if, because unlike you know, Dan, I watch other rugby. <laughs> well, I'm going to say to all our listeners that uh, 
Hey, Dan, family show. This is on video now. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> so I have to now. I have to spend more time editing to pixelate that. Sorry, Stu. I'm just. I'll, I'll let you. No, no, you no, no. Once the children are finished, I'll speak. Yes, yeah. Kids, kids. Um, the kids' table this Thanksgiving is going to get a little rowdy. I think. Anyway, the um, I would recommend any rugby fan in general just to Google or go on YouTube and search for Joaquin Tuchelet, um try the year, which he won in uh, 2017. With, yeah, I didn't against, even mention that one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the thing. His record is so impressive that you can completely bypass something like that. Um, yeah. yeah um, no, there's compilations for different years, different seasons. And um, I think... One of the players I feel that he would emulate that a lot of Arrows players would know would be um, Toma De La Vega in the sense of they're both teammates that are absolute workhorses. So I know, obviously... I, I was they, wondering where you were going with yeah, this. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're both men. Oh, I get, That's I get, where yeah. the similarity is. <laughs> um, no, the point I'm getting across is that um, to be a good player, you also have to be a good teammate as well. You have to be willing to do the work and you obviously put the training in. And obviously we can see from um, Tuchelet's like highlight reels that this is a player that does the work. And now obviously as a fullback and wing, um, you know, the odds are that the tries are going to go your way because that's the that's your job of the game exactly um, but it's also watching him when he's in like on the defensive streak or you know passing um, off to players who can get away and help score the try as well that this is a player that you want on your team because he is one of the guys that's going to do the work and yes of course being um, in his position he will be the one who dots the ball down over the line but he also knows when to offload and when to uh, you know be a bit more defensive and get involved that way so I think this is a fantastic investment for the Arrows and of course that experience will then seep into the other players and hopefully a more cohesive unit because of it yeah I think I think if you just kind of like look at the grand scope of all the signings that the year was made, right? Like, like over like this off season, so over like Tukale, Montero, Cortez, um, Gonzalez, Wadden, Vikilani, like it's like all the ad- additions just absolutely unreal. Um, I think, you know, looking ahead to next year, I mean, you're kind of seeing some some teams as we're seeing all the other signings um, around the league too. I think like New York's having a great off season. Nola's having a great off season. Um, but you know, San Diego just lost like two of their best centers, um, uh, which you know is part of the reason why Nola's having a great off season too. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like Seattle, we don't we don't really have a ton of info on what their um, what their lineup's going to look like. We assume that it'll maybe it'll look somewhat similar, but who knows. Um, but it's like I think like seeing the roster that the arrows have put forward, like right now I feel like maybe you guys I don't know let's see if what your opinion is on this. But it's like if the arrows don't go like fourteen and two and win the shield, it's a disappointing season. 
I would agree with that. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe you can good. go. I mean, maybe you can go thirteen and three and win the shield still, and it'll be a fine season. I mean, ultimately, you have to you have to win the shield. I think this team has to win the shield. Here's why I have such high expectations for the arrows. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Teams like Rooney and and Nola have done such a good job of um, adding really interesting uh, acquisitions to their teams. But with all of the pieces that they've been picking, especially in their back line, they're they're finding guys that have either played together or have played similar styles together. Or know, you know each other too, right? Like Montero, was- Gonzalez, Tuchelet, all have played in some form Argentinian rugby, um, have played with each other, you know, very similar systems. When you come into the first couple of weeks of the season, they're going to rely on that to play with each other again if they're all in the starting you know, 15, if, and again, we're going to talk about that pretty soon. Um, and then as the this, this season goes on, they're going to then meld into the arrows uh, uh, style of play, which they're probably going to have a huge factor in how that, how that looks. So, you know, I think that is, that is such a large benefit. When you look at like teams like Rooney, they've kind of just picked really good pieces, um, but it's going to take time for that to mesh together. So, Add, you know, Quintaguati and and some of their other pieces. Like it's really going to take some time for that to build. Now, again, I don't know how long they're going to have for a training camp or whatever like that. So that might help with that. Um, but you know, we saw we we've seen teams kind of. I mean, look at uh, how the Gilgroni started their season. They had a lot of guys come late, and it wasn't until you know the last couple of weeks before uh, COVID shut things down when they really were getting into a groove. And who knows what they would have ended up like? So um, it's very interesting. I, yeah, I think I think ultimately too, like um, Neil Davidson had that little piece on Tuchel's signing where, like, you know, they were talking about how uh, Thomas De La Vega. Um, who Stu mentioned, um, played a big role in bringing Tukale over here. Just, you know, um, you know, to be able You're to You're answering talk. the next question before I asked it. Oh, well, that, that's how good I am at this whole podcasting thing. I can like, or I have a script, who knows? Um, but uh, <laughs> we, maybe we have a game plan. I maybe know this is all planned ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For people that don't know, I know it really sounds like we have no idea what we're doing most of the time, but we do actually attempt to plan how these go. Um, but uh, Dan usually derails them all, so... Um, but I think uh, I think yeah I think ultimately though you kind of had like Della Vega and Tukale kind of knowing each other I mean it, it, it helps man it helps when you can like you know bring in I guess guys that like you said guys that you have played with guys that you're you're friends with guys that you know you work well with together um, like you said it's like we've already like we, you can find videos of Montero and Tukale playing together and it is so much fun um, so it's like they'll hopefully they can bring that to us uh, to a little arrows blue and white instead of the Argentinian blue and white but um uh, like, yeah, I think, I think it's great. And I think it's even like why you kind of see, like, I even remember, um, like Leandro Levis came to Toronto. Levis had, uh, like, I don't want to necessarily want to say he had a choice, but he had two teams that he was thinking about going to and the big, and, uh, the big thing that swung it into Toronto's favor was that yeah, Toronto, Toronto had Gaston Mirez and that's a big reason for why, you know, he came over and, um, it's it, yeah. So like, you know, have, having guys that, you know, it's a good recruiting tool, especially like if guys are having a good time playing for Toronto, they're enjoying the city, they're enjoying the culture of the team. Um, I wouldn't like it, This is what you kind of end up with. You end up with the ability to collect had contract offers from premiership teams. Like the, the guy can play in the premiership and he chose to come here 
And I guess part of that is because Thomas Della Vega is his friend. So like, that's like, if that's what you're able to do by having that, like it's a good, good networking thing, build that culture, get that word of mouth out. And you end up with great players like Tukale coming over to Toronto. Yeah. I'd actually like to share a quote from uh, Mark Winokur who said, um, Tukala is making the move for all the right reasons and we're excited to have him here on a multi-year deal which um, you know is obviously indicating that he's not just like oh a one year like it indicates at least two at least two which Um, is big because because Toronto has really never mentioned how long any of these deals have been. Yeah. You know, for all we know, in 2019, some of these guys, like guys, might have signed multi-year deals, but they never really talked about it. So this is really the first guy that they've kind of talked about. You know, being a multi-year deal. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the quote goes, um, Tuchelet will fit in perfectly to our culture and he has expressed a keen desire to get out and work with all the great young talent in Ontario and help build the game. And, you know, that I think that's obviously a great thing. We, are, we know that Toronto has these, um, like, training days that allows like, young uh, players, um, you know, kids to come along and uh, be coached by the these players and you know the community outreach is i think one of the great benefits for the arrows so you know uh bringing um to colette along to uh, be immersed in that kind of culture you know maybe give a few spanish lessons so we know what the spanish for try and what are you doing ref um so that we can scream on the pitch i, I think that'll be i think um Winneker's right i think he will be a perfect fit for um the culture the team and the city so, gentlemen, we're going to play a little bit of a game now because we've talked about uh, the arrow's depth uh, to nausea, and uh, we're going to prove how attempt insane to. their depth is, or attempt to. Attempt to so, prove. what this I have may not work. What I have in my ball cap is um, the names of all of the uh, players that uh, are considered uh, backs minus our two scrum halves. Um, as of right now, we only have two. We don't know what's going on with Jamie McKenzie right now. So um, what I'm going to do is I am going to draw names out of the hat for all three of us. And I will get, I will give each one of you guys a few minutes to think about um, who's going to be in your lineup, where you want to put them. And then we will uh, talk, uh, announce our line. So I'm going to start with you, Derek. Um, I don't have a coin with me. Um, my wallet is upstairs, and so is my coin jar. So what I'm going to use is I have a D4 dice. Oh. So odds. You have to put it over your face. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you just, you, I just got to. <laughs> there you go. All right, D4 Tiny. dice. Dan, D4 dice. Dan plays a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. He hasn't yeah, mentioned this I'm, on the show nerdy. before. Yeah, I never mention it. So odds, you're getting Higgins. Evens, you're getting Ferguson. Okay. Odd. Uh, odds. So odds was Ferguson? Odds was Ferguson. Odds was Ferguson, okay. So you got Ferguson as your scrum half. Your right. first player is... Ben Lesage. Your second like second player is... Juan Cruz Gonzalez. Your third player is... Taylor Adams. Your uh, fourth player is Mitch Richardson. 
Your fifth player is Johnny Sheridan. And your last player... Manuel Montero. That's a nice, tidy little lineup there. That's, <laughs> that's a sweet. Uh, I was gonna say that's a sweet lineup. That's an easy decision-making lineup. All yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's not easy. Stu, you are about. next, my friend. So, again, odds is Sheridan evens is Higgins. You got evens. Evens, Jason Higgins. All right, Jason okay. Higgins. All right. So your first player is. Taylor Adams. Okay. Did you did you reshuffle these after you put them in? I reshuffled them. <laughs> Pat Parfrey. Gaston Mirez. Will Kelly. Juan Cruz Gonzalez. Johnny Sheridan. So there are your six. Ooh. Okay. Okay. And I will go last. Odds is Ferguson. Evens is Higgins. I have Jason Higgins. Okay. My first player is Mitch Richardson. I'm trying to think of like, are you shuffling these, or I'm like, it's also only 14 guys, so I feel like the odds of people getting pulled twice. We're gonna we're gonna get similar guys. I got Ben Lesage as well, so. Oh yeah, man, you gotta. There's my center. You gotta like shake up that Peterborough pizza. I'm shaking it. I am close close it it and shake it, man. You gotta know how to. ah. (laughs) God. Manuel Montero. That guy's going to be a beast, man. I am so excited for him. Pat Parfrey. Joaquin Tuchelet. So oh, anyway, first, one, two, first, first Tuchelet. Three, four, five. And then Will Kelly. Okay. All righty then. So, Derek, you got the yeah. names first. So, who are you going right. with? So, yeah. So, like, I think the point that I, when I came up with this idea, the point that I was trying to illustrate is like how good, good and how deep this team is. Is that you can like, I was just like, yeah, what would a random lineup look like if you just drew names out of a hat? Um, and yeah, so I got my lineup with the names that you gave me would be Ferguson at nine, Adams at ten. Montero at 11. And then I went with, I had two centers, Richardson and Lesage. I went with Richardson at 12 and Lesage at 13. Although I feel like maybe you could flip that, but I'm okay with it either way. Sheridan 14 and Juan Cruz Gonzalez at 15. And, you know, kind of looking at that, I'm like that, that lineup can win MLR games just as from, uh, from Dan just reaching into his hat and being like, who who would play today? Um, we've seen like, even like, we've seen like Sher- Sheridan busted out a 107 meter game against Houston when he stepped in to play that um, with Levis and Mirez both hurt. Like I'm full confidence in his ability to, you know, exceed at the major league rugby level. Same with Mitch Richardson, um, you know, and 
you know, Ben Lesage, obviously, you know, he Canadian center world cup, Montero Gonzalez Adams. Like I don't really think I need to, you know, I don't really need to go into depth to explain how this would actually be a good lineup if it ever actually came to fruition during this season. Stu, who'd you end up with? Uh, so my order, well, Higgins um, and Adams as uh, fly half on the wing. I have put Mirrors and Kelly, and that's only because I've put um, Parfrey and Sheridan at the centres. And as fullback, I have Gonzalez. I think, obviously, uh, I think having you, you didn't get a good positional draw there. I think. Bit, yeah, yeah, to, yeah <laughs> having having multiple uh, fullbacks slash fly halves. <laughs> yeah. Me you, you, got the, uh, you got the yeah you got the short end of the to, actual. To be honest, I'm disappointed that I've got Kelly on the wing and not Detroit. So, but you know, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll make yeah. do. We'll make do. All right, there's yeah, there's see, names. You, I you see. Gotta, I got a great position draw. I actually yeah yeah. You, you and I did pretty well. But see, yeah. would you not want to put uh, Kelly like at, at like twelve as like that second receiver kind of position, like Farrell, and then like put Sheridan on the wing? Well, uh, well, I'd probably put. Parfrey on the wing instead of Sheridan, but because Parfrey is a utility back, he will have been uh, trained. I think there's there's a clear training difference between centers and wings, so I think Parfrey would have a bit of the edge to go in center. Um, I'm, I'm guessing there's been like a massive injury during this game, <laughs> or the, during the previous game yeah, that has yeah, Kelly yeah. on the wing. See, um, I feel, but, I feel like. But that's the thing. I have like multiple options for you know drop goal. As soon as you're in the twenty-two, it's like oh no, it's another drop goal. There's another <laughs> one, another one. See, I oh, who's like, he gone to? Oh, it's Sheridan. Oh, he's passed the cat. Oh, it's a drop goal again. Oh, yeah. So on. I feel like my lineup represented the how I was like uh, when we first started this segment. I was like, this is either going to work great or be terrible. I feel like my lineup was uh, this is working great, and what Stu got was oh yeah, here's every fly half and fullback on the team, <laughs> and you got to figure out who to put in centers and wings, and um, yeah. All right, Dan, I'm assuming somewhere in between. Well, listen, uh, like uh, Meatloaf says, two out of three ain't bad. Um, so I've got Higgins as my as my nine. I got Will Kelly at 10. Uh, Richardson and Lesage are my um, duo in my centers. I got Richardson at 12, Lesage at 13. I got Montero at 11, Tuchelet at 14, and Parfrey at 15. I'm Ooh. pretty sure that that yeah, team, that, could, that lineup is going to do pretty damn well. That could win some MLR. That games. could win some MLR games. Stu's, I, I, Stu's lineup could probably win a couple MLR games, but that's weird. It's weird. It didn't work out too well for Stu, but I guess the the draw landed in. Uh, <laughs> we we make do with what we have. Yeah, we and um, again, like yeah, the point of this this whole little exercise is just to prove how deep. <laughs> this lineup is and you know yeah, it might just no. be familiarity i mean if we really did deep dive into some other teams i'm sure that we would be pretty uh pretty satisfied but you know they've, they've done a really good job of making of signing a lot of players that are just so versatile that yeah. like I any week think... depending on who they're playing they can have a, a good lineup yeah i just i just don't think any like other teams have great back lines and has got a great back line Even San, San Diego, even with JP and uh, Nanu shipping out, they still have a great back line. Like there's, there's teams, um, Seattle's back line's great too. Like there, there's teams that have great back lines, um, especially the, the better teams in the league, the Toronto, New York, NOLA, Seattle, San Diego, like those teams, like there's teams out there with great back lines. So I don't think, but it's like, I think, if you were to go with almost like 
here's what you would start with the arrows. And then here's maybe like the second best back line without any of those guys, right? The arrows are going to have, I think the second best back line without any of your starters across the entire league. And they would probably have like the third best back line if without using any of the first guys from the first two across the league too. And I think, I think like that's, that's kind of part of what I was saying though, is like, it's going to make them that good. It's like, like, this is like, you know, you can like Mark Winokur and Chris Silverthorne, aren't going to draw names out of a hat, right? Like they actually get to look at this. Like they're not. I hope they do. I hope I, they have a game and they're like, okay, well, well everyone's been playing fantastic. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah, exactly. Let's throw darts, right? That, that's for all the wingers and fullbacks. On yeah. Yeah. Let's do Stu's. Do that. Yeah, exactly. Do Stu's lineup. Um, but like they're not getting, right. So it's like, they actually get to sit there, analyze training camp, analyze the game film with the guys and actually put out what they think is their best lineup. And it's like, that's going to like, it's going to be insane. And, you know, mm-hmm. like it'll be it's I think training camp is going to be so much, so much fun to watch being like, even like, OK, who starts at fly half? You can have Adams, Gonzalez, Kelly, who starts in the centers. It's going to be this. Well, the centers is going to be the same as it was this year between Jones, Richardson, uh, Detuan, Lesage, which is like all four of them start on the vast majority of MLR teams, too. Um you know, the, the back three, you got, you can put Montero, you can put Gonzalez, you can put Sheridan, you can put Mirez, you can put Tukale. Um, Like that's like, that's going to be nuts. You can put Parfrey. I know I forgot someone there. You can put Sean Windsor. We didn't mention Sean Windsor in this whole thing yet. Sean Windsor's uh, already proven that he can play in major league rugby, even though, you know, his, his spot kind of, you know, he kind of lost his spot when uh, a lot of the players at the end of the ARC kind of came back, but you know, so it's like that the depth on this team is just absolutely nuts. And I think too, like the depth on this team at forward is also nuts too. Like the pack is crazy. Like you look at like the front row, you would have like, you know, Asiata, um, who's the only like, I guess, official loose head that's been signed, but like say Brower, Lynott, Lynott was doing some work with the arrows. So maybe that's a good indication for hit, uh, yeah. his future, but we haven't had, we don't have all the, that's well, let's not, let's not get signed. too far into the, into the, into the pack. We'll have, yeah. we'll have a day but, one day where we'll, We'll talk yeah, yeah, it. no, for sure. But it's like the point is, it's like the pack. The pack's also nuts, um, right? Even with the guys that we do, that we know we do have, right? Like, and and you know, it's one of those things where I kind of look at the. I'm looking back at the game this season where Toronto played Atlanta. And Toronto, like, th- there was a little bit of strategy with that, knowing that they had to play Colorado four days later, right? So Winokur put guys like um, Andrew Quatrain, Lucas Rumble. Um, Rob Brower, Gaston Mirez on the bench, right? And they went into that game. They were down at halftime. All those guys came on and then they killed Atlanta, right? And it's like, I kind of look at that and it's like, I look at that game and I look at the way the Springboks won the World Cup. The Springboks kind of did the ex- a little bit to the extreme or whatever with the six, for- with the six forwards, right? It's like they they brought in a new scrum at the halftime, like that, like it, which is nuts. But you know, the, the thing with the spring boxes, is like their, their, their starting front row was the best front row in the world cup. And their backup front row was the second best front row in the world. cup. <laughs> so they were able to use that to like the, to just destroy teams. They destroy teams, the whole yeah, tournament doing for sure. That. And like, 
And I, I kind of wonder if that if that's if that's like kind of a, a play, like not to the same extent. Like I don't think I don't necessarily think the six and two is going to make so because the arrows are really back heavy. Like their strength is the depth in their backs. Not that the depth in the forwards is is back. That's also still great, but the backs are like ridiculous as we're kind of getting into here. And I kind of wonder if that's maybe that's a thing that you do right is like if you can be like all right, get like a really good like 40, 50 minute shift out of your starters, and then you could like some of the lineups that you're kind of looking at, you can bring on like. Mirez, Levis, like you can bring on um, Parfrey, like you can bring on like fully capped players. If you did, I did a lineup on Layman Sports, which is like the capped guys. And it's like, there's still two capped guys. Like if you just took all the capped backs and started the capped guys only, it, it would be, you would still have two capped players not on the bench or like not even starting in the game. And then you would, uh, which, you know, whoever they would be. I think on mine, I did Parfrey and Mirez I had on the bench, but like, but even if you did that, you still don't have like Adams or Gonzalez. Like it's like the lineup, like the team's so deeply stacked. So you're not even going to start all your capped guys probably because you have Taylor Adams who obviously isn't capped, but he's also from New Zealand. So it's a little bit harder to come by a cap in that country. Um, but like, it, it's just, it's so stacked, man. And, and, and like, I think if you can do something maybe like Atlanta, like even with the forwards, like you can like guys like Brower, Cortez can come off the bench, Wadden, Francis, Malazzo, Wainwright, like you can have all any of those guys on the bench for you too. Higgins at scrum half. You can do, you know, any combination of, like you said, like Mirez, Richardson, Jones, Sheridan, like you can have a some, lot of versatility. You, that's Tukale, for sure. you can put Tukale on the bench, man, and just be like, cool. Yeah. You guys are starting to get tired with 25 minutes left in this game. And here's walking Tukale, like have fun with defending this when you're gassed at the end of a game. Right. And he's fresh. Like it's like, it'll be like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I wonder if that's a strategy that the arrows can go with is just have an absolutely loaded bench that no team in the league can compete with and bring that out in the second half and destroy teams. We're, we're going to move on gentlemen. Um, Cause we're running short on time, but so we wanted to talk about um, another league that's kind of started up um, this, this weekend, um, the premier 15s, uh, the women's uh, division in uh, England has uh, started up this weekend and it is quickly becoming a home for some of North Americans uh, best women's players. Now, currently Canada is third in the world and the U S is seventh. Um, I want you guys to just give a wild guess on who is the next America's uh, player uh, team that is in the rankings. Who comes up next? Uh, Just quickly. Argentina. Mexico. Jamaica. Oh, so my, my point of bringing this up is the women's competition look very different than the men's world rankings and, and competition for uh, Canada in the U S in the Americas is not up to their caliber. Uh, It's, it's non-existent. Um, So they have been having to compete against teams like New Zealand and England and France, which of course they're all close to each other and Italy and Australia. Um, However, that requires think, a lot I think you of travel. Need a map or a geography textbook if you think those countries are close to each other. I I literally just said they are not close together, oh, Derek. You need no, to I, put I your listening ears sounded, on. It sounded like you said they are close to each other. Aren't close aren't together. You gotta enunciate. Uh, enunciate. Which is which is has been causing quite a problem with developing Canadian 15s players. You know, Canada and the US are just not getting enough test matches and 
So it's causing quite a problem. So nobody's looks, getting test matches this year. No, I yeah, 2020 has caused chaos, but before that as well. So um, this Premier 15s is kind of creating a little bit of a, a power vacuum in terms of it's collecting some of North America's best players. Currently, there are eight Canadian internationals signed to play with the Premier 15s. Um, there are uh, Olivia de Marchant, Emily Tulitzi. McKinley Hunt and Taylor Black at Exeter and Paige Ferries has signed for the uh, Worcester Warriors. Um, and then we also have Sarah Sabodka um, signed for the Longborough Lightning. Uh, and that, including her on that team will be um, a few players from Canada as well. Um, so it is going to be a uh, very Holt interesting Camp season. And- Courtney Holkamp and uh, the Leica Meninen are also on Lowbro. Perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah. So there are apparently more signings expected to be coming in the coming weeks. Um, we also know that uh, there was a trio of American players signed by Exeter as well. Uh, Kate Zachary, Gabby Cantorna, uh, and uh, Janine Duncan. Um, so, you know, more more North American players coming over. Now, my question to you guys is, uh, you guys watched a little bit of it, and I watched a little bit of it this morning. Um, who are some players that you're excited to watch? So, um, she played against, she played yesterday. Um, my player that I'm excited to watch, and I was excited watching her, um, is Taylor Black. The best story I've read about her is that her team was on a under-17 rugby tour in Germany. And after their side got eliminated, um, a French academy side in the tournament said they needed reinforcements. And they skipped the other players and said they specifically wanted black for the tournament. Now, this was an under-17 tournament, and at the time, black... Black's teammates were 16. Black herself was 13. <laughs> she is now 20. She is international experience. Um, she played, obviously, with the national team as well. Um, she should be a marquee player going forward. Like, if this was a guy, we would you know, be pining all over him saying that this is the fly half that we need to have for the next two or three World Cups. That should be the same treatment that Taylor Black gets. Yeah, actually, I was going to say Taylor Black too. Um, yeah, like she was, uh, she looked really good um, in the game yesterday. Um, you know, had a had one bad pass that resulted in a in a try against Exeter, but um, you know, other than that, like you know. I think, like you said, Stu, like one of the big things with her is like she started playing rugby when she was like five. Um, so as if we go back to our conversation we had with Andrew Ferguson, he was mentioning that like he felt like he had a huge edge on a lot of his competition just because he played um, that just because he started playing before everyone else. And I think that's kind of the same situation that Black is kind of facing. Um, she has 
unreal skills with ball in hand. Um, you know, you can kind of see like even the game yesterday, despite Exeter um, being on the wrong end of the scoreboard, you can kind of see like the skills with the cutout pass, being able to, um, you know, being able to just move the ball quickly and in traffic, um, put our teammates um, through gaps in the defense as well. Um, is it's it's unreal to see. And yeah, like she got capped at 18 years old and, you know, it's, it's it's impressive what she's done at such a young age, and um, I am also looking forward to uh, seeing what she has um, as her career kind of develops. And it's great to see so many Canadians are playing uh, Premier Fifteens as well. Um, an interesting tidbit I found out is that um, Taylor Black in 2017 won the Rugby Canada Young Player of the Year award in for women. Um, for the men, uh, the same year, Cole Keith. Oh, there you go. And you know, I'm I'm my connection to Gold Keith is very similar because I'm also picking a prop from uh, New Brunswick. I am uh, picking Olivia de Marchand. Uh, unfortunately, she was not in the lineup uh, with the Chiefs this weekend. Maybe that's why they lost. Who knows? Uh, but uh, she has been one of the best props. Brand new team too, which which is which is very difficult. And I think that uh, you know, again, it's going to take time for some of these teams to uh, develop that chemistry. But uh, uh, Demarchand is 29 and she has been uh, been a staple for Canada since 2013. Uh, she's been to two World Cups. She's part of the silver, silver medalists um, in 2014. Um, interesting fact about Olivia is that uh, not only is she uh, a very, very impressive prop, uh, she also played a little bit of uh, women's tackle football. Um, uh, when she was in the, uh, living in New Brunswick. Uh, so she's got a little bit of a dual sport. She played running back and defensive end um, in the uh, Maritime Women's Football League. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. But you know what? She's got experience uh, in England as well. She played for the Saracens for a few years from 2016 to 2018. So this is actually her second stint in Europe. So I'm very excited to watch her. I remember watching her play uh, in the 2014 uh, uh, in that uh, semifinal and also in the final. Um, I also remember watching her in the 2017 uh, World Cup. They were playing Hong Kong and they beat Hong Kong by like 100 points. It was wild. I was sitting there in a barbershop getting a haircut and I asked them to put the game on and it was crazy. So I am very excited to see her play. Uh, I think it's fantastic that the Premier 15 put uh, the games on YouTube, or at least the, the extra Chiefs game. Um, so you know what we've hopefully, talked about. Hopefully more games end up. On hopefully more games um, for sure. Um, and my other question, is, guys, is um, you know, with the problem that we kind of just mentioned about the lack of national games in North America, is there a partnership that can be developed with MLR teams? You know, we're seeing that they're developing um, academy teams. Yeah. Do you mean, you mean like a WMLR kind of thing? Yeah. Like, that, like, like you know, that. we can we can set it up however they want. You know, it doesn't have to be a full um, a full professional league yet. But you know, all of these teams are starting to develop their their strength and conditioning programs. They're starting to develop places where they can work out. Um, could there be some type of system put into play where it could be a, you know, a large club program uh, partnership that they could use to, to develop the U S and Canadian national teams, because they need, they need time. They need think, caps and they need to play. Yeah. I, I think that like, 
it would be like having like a women, like I guess a women's major league rugby or some sort of equivalent to me seems like a thing that is like very, very, very far down the road into the future. Um, it'd be nice to have happen, but that could be like, like we might be talking like 30, 40, 50 years. Like we got to get the, uh, the men's, the men's competition kind of off the ground um, too. But I think, you know, and, and women's pro rugby, like, like you, like this league, even like premier 15s is still kind of new. Um, the, uh, the French competition, the elite one feminine uh, is like, that's uh, like, that's still kind of like in that semi pro, like not, entirely completely professional sort of stage and uh you know rugby quebec sent 19 players to go play in that competition this year as well um which is another huge huge benefit so there's a lot of canadian players playing overseas and i think like as far as like starting up say like a say like a professional north american women's rugby league um which would be awesome but like i don't know if like the resources and stuff will be there right away but i think the big difference i think between like the benefit for major league rugby is that in a lot of cases, Canadian and American players aren't necessarily good enough to play overseas in Europe or in super rugby or because of certain rules that, you know, limit foreign player slots and stuff. They always, they kind of get pushed to the side, um, which is why we're like, we needed more Canadian players playing in professional environments. We need more American players playing in professional environments. I think the interesting flip on it for the women's game is that Canada and also the United States are like elite nations in women's rugby uh like canada is the like the th- ranked third overall um you know it's a couple silver medals and stuff at the world cup and it's like the the premier 15 teams as well as like the french pro teams will be more than happy to take canadian players so the canadian players can develop and play at the highest level that, that is possibly available to them right and even if it's not necessarily in canada and then you can come back to canada when you got to do your duties and stuff for the national team but um i think i think it's kind of like most women's sports which is like it's just kind of maybe kind of unfortunate. Like we're even seeing it here with hockey where it's like professional women's hockey is still something that's in its infancy. And there's a lot of women's sports leagues that are kind of doing that right now. So, um, and major league rugby is also in its infancy. So everything's kind of coming together at the same point in time. And, you know, I, I would love to see a professional women's rugby league in North America. That'd be awesome. But I feel like that might be something that's very far down the line in the future. Um, But in the meantime, because Canada is so good at women's rugby, top three country in the world, there's going to be a lot of spots um, for any of the women on the national team to go play over in Europe. And hopefully that continues. And hopefully the Premier 15s to continues to develop to be uh, a better league um, for everybody involved. So my, my question to you is we've seen uh, the WNBA have a successful few couple of years. Um, we've seen, um, you know, the, uh, the women's um, soccer league yeah. down in the States be successful. Would it not make sense to capitalize on momentum of women's sports growing? And I, I, I agree with you that one rugby is so small that it's hard to kind of advertise men's rugby, but I feel like we're ignoring a population of female sports fans that could help gain momentum. And I think in terms of you need just need to find the right backers. I think that hockey did not do a good enough job that hockey Canada, the CWHL did not do a good enough job to advertise the product. I think that's what it comes down to is we need to advertise the product. And I don't think we need to be as, as large as MLR. They can have four teams, one Canadian, three American teams. And it'd be maybe just a, 
a couple of round robin games in a year and then do it at different MLR teams. I think there's a way that we can make it work that we can have our best players playing or if it's not our best players playing in the premier 15, we still have some of our young up and comers. Like there are so many female women that give up playing rugby because they don't have the opportunities or they're playing club rugby. And they're saying, what's the point of me playing club rugby when it's not going to lead me to play any more national team games. I feel like there is an opportunity to be played. I think MLR is trying to do so many things like get a team in Hawaii or, you know, expand rapidly or trying to do Vegas games. I think it's about priorities. I think that if we just say, okay, we want to make women's rugby a priority for MLR, we can cut out things like the Vegas weekend. I think there is a, there is a middle ground that could be met between what you're saying, Derek, and what I, what I want for the future of women's rugby. Because I think we see how successful the women's sevens program has been I think we're doing a disservice to the 15 scheme by saying that we should leave it up to the European leagues. I feel like that MLR can play a big role in it by saying we're going to do a a, a MLR-sponsored 15s tournament. That could be the the best step into it and saying it could even just be clubs. And for a couple of weeks, you guys can train at your local MLR training facility if, if a team has one. I know the Arrows kind of rent spaces and stuff like that, but training with their coaches or or having a few you know technical skill practice with some of the players. Like I feel like we can make that happen, but it needs to be a priority for management and for the fans. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Dan on this and Derek in the sense of yeah, I would love to see a 13-plus women's MLR um, league. Uh, but at the same time, I know it's not going to happen for 2021. Um, I'd say that having even like small divisional tournaments, as Daniel said, um, would be of huge benefit to the women's game. And like they could be paired with... Um, MLR teams and they could be kept in the same geographical areas so you could say oh um, we'll have like uh, the Arrows women's team or the Rooney women's team and um, like the Free Jacks women's team and DC's women's team and they all play each other on a round robin tournament you know maybe there'll be a fourth Texas team and then you can have like a Texas bubble of women's teams going on there Um, because I you know reality kicking in you know rugby whilst being one of the with the men's world cup being one of the biggest sporting events in the world um the women's unfortunately isn't but you don't improve that by just going well that's the way it's always been you've got to try different things you've got to build players up and there was the big thing in england a few years ago and of that the England women's 15s team would be fully professional and that they would be paid um, by the RFU to play these games um, whilst they were playing in the Premier 15s. And that's the thing. We have to be working towards that point. And we can say, oh, yes, this will be hard. Yes, it's going to take time. That, is, that doesn't mean you give up. It means you keep 
going until you reach that point. And then when you reach that point, okay, you say, okay, we want to make an entirely professional women's t- uh, women's league. And then you aim for that and you keep going. And that's how you improve yeah. everything going forward. So, you know, incremental steps, like, like I say, maybe even if it's just, you know, four teams to begin with and they're completely amateur or semi-pro, but that's the start. It's not the end. And let's not kid ourselves. I mean, USA rugby is currently dealing with the aftermath of bankruptcy and let's talk about rugby Canada. Um, you know, they are you now to uh, like, talk about it. They are dealing with their own, their own financial issues yeah, as well. Before we kind of get into that though, too, it's like, like, like obviously like having a women's professional league, like would be awesome and stuff. It's just, and I think what everybody's saying here, it's like, I think everybody would support that. It's just finding a way to make that work is going to be the challenge, especially since like, like I said, like the, the places where rugby is the most popular in the world are just starting their own like women's pro leagues. Like, women. So we need to make, again, we need to make it a priority. Stop, stop doing stupid things like, like doing a uh, weekend in Vegas. How much money did that cost the league? You know, like how much money did that cost? You know, how, and much, like, or, how much how much money does starting a professional women's league cost? Let's do baby steps. Let's let's put the money into grassroots programs so that way clubs can start to build up their their ability to train these women. And then you know it's baby steps. I like I, I frame this as what can MLR do to develop a successful league? You know, and I I I'm, I I understand and Derek's trying to be a realist and I appreciate that because he keeps me grounded. That's what Derek does. He's a good guy. Uh, but I think that we need to realize that MLR is not doing anything for women's rugby. And I think that's something that needs to start. And it could be little things. It could be very tiny things. We're seeing what they're doing. We're seeing what the arrows are doing for youth rugby. Okay. Well, let's say that, let's say that maybe the arrows need to start doing that for, for, uh, you know, women's teams in Toronto, start paying them a little bit more attention. Uh, There are, there are multiple avenues that we can go into this about, about this. And maybe one day we should have someone come on and talk about it. Cause again, at the end of the day, we're three, three men that, that have experience in rugby, but we don't know what women's rugby players go through. So maybe that's something that we need to look at in the future. I will recommend that if anyone's listening to this, wants to, um, get more involved or like watch more of women's rugby, but doesn't know where to start. Um, there's a YouTube channel called the women's rugby show, which has done previews of the premier 15s for this season. They've also got talking points such as the new rule changes. Um, that was where I've been looking at for the past few days. So I definitely recommend them. Awesome. Um, and we've talked about previously about, COVID causing chaos in the sports world. Um, Rugby Canada has kind of announced their financial situation and have made announcements that they've cut and made cutbacks to their staff. Um, and kind of one of the more bigger cuts was that they uh, let go Al Sharon, who is a legend in Canadian rugby. Um, in accordance with those cuts, they've also announced that they're, you know, they've called it different things, but the Halloween weekend in Vancouver, where Canada was going to play the U S and then the, uh, Fijian uh, 15s would play the New Zealand 15s, but not the Maori All Blacks, and that's confusing to Dan, but that's fine. Now, my question to you guys uh, to end the show. They're different teams, I understand. (laughs) Um, How will these decisions 
bear on fans' minds going into the future. I mean, you, you talk to any Canadian rugby fan and everyone knows who Al Sharon is. So, you know, to, to let him go sucks, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like, and a lot of people were looking forward to that Vancouver weekend, even if it was going to be behind closed doors, something, something to watch would have been mm-hmm. amazing. Um, do we think that fans are going to react poorly to these decisions or have fans been pretty understanding about most of this? I, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's like, you know, there's uh, unfortunately with the current world climate, there's a lot of people that have been laid off. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate that it also is trickling into rugby Canada and the rugby world. Um, I think th- to me though, the big, the big kind of takeaways, like you kind of look at the positions that, are were axed and you have mark lemon the chief commercial officer um alana gattinger the team manager for the men's 15s team um a bunch of the event staff and the ticketing staff as well um and uh you know the manager of the official development uh, so it's like you kind of look at the position titles that are gone and the only thing i kind of look into that is like that sounds like you feel like you're not playing rugby for a very long time. Like if you're, or at least the men's, the men's side aren't women's side is, you know, with the premier 15s is like, they still got a world cup to prepare for without that. They have to somehow figure out a way to prepare for that without actually having international test matches, which will be interesting. Um, and, you know, which is another big benefit to everybody going either to play in England or play in France. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it just seems like with the people and obviously with the cancellation of the Halloween weekend, which I kind of thought was already canceled or I don't think, I don't think, I don't think anybody was shocked in reading that announcement no. that the Halloween weekend was canceled. Um, but I think with a lot of, with a lot of these teams though, it's kind of like, it kind of comes down to just like, like the position, like Atlanta Gattinger has gone. Like that's like, she's such a key and important part of the, of like of that team and like that management group that oversees the the uh, men's 15s team like the world cup tours all the tours that they go on like that's all like what her job is right managing the team on the tours so it's like i don't know i just and the commercial officer events ticketing staff being gone like that's like okay it sounds so like have, they're not gonna be hosting a lot of we, stuff yeah we don't have any rugby to sell people on right mm-hmm. now um you know, Gattinger being like, even like Al Sharon, like Al Sharon, like that's a big like marketing piece. Um, like you said, he's, you know, he's one of three uh, Canadians in the Hall, Hall, of Rugby Hall of Fame, right? And with uh, Gareth Reese and Heather Moyce. Um, and yeah, like I just like, yeah, it kind of sucks. And it's also, I think it's an indication that, um, that we're probably not seeing a whole lot of Canadian international test rugby um, in the near future. Um, I think the the, uh, the worst part about it, I think the the optics like optically of hiring which they did kind of address in the uh, yeah. the press release of hiring Rob Howley and then also cutting a bunch Letting of jobs. Staff go, yeah. it, it doesn't, and 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 I and I get that Alan Vanson in the press release or in the interviews and stuff that came out with it. Um, acknowledged that and was like this looks this this probably doesn't look good but it's like he tried to he tried to you know do his best to indicate that it's an unrelated thing um but yeah. still it's like you gotta you gotta think like that was kind of like one of the uh like the first thoughts of like a lot of a lot of yeah. people because it's hiring this special yeah. Wales coach and we can't keep you know we can't keep yeah, workers, it's which, Sharon, which but it. we can keep uh rob howley yeah and like yeah. i'm not upset about 
I'm I'm not upset about Rob Howley being hired or anything, but it's just like, yeah, that's that wasn't a good that's bad timing. Yeah. Um, but it's like I think that's the thing though, too, is like we've seen that in a lot of like other sports and stuff right now, like especially like you know, NHL free agency just kicked off. And it's like I'm sure like all the employees of those teams that you know got laid off or whatever from um like the NHL teams are like having fun watching free agency and seeing guys get signed to multi-million dollar contracts and stuff. Sure. Right? Um it's like that's kind of like a tough, a tough go. Not that you wouldn't not that like the NHL is still ticking, so you got to sign players, right? So that's the nature of it. Same with you know Major League Rugby players are still getting signed, but it's uh yeah I think it's just the signing yeah that's I think that's probably the worst part about it is like even if it is unrelated, which fair enough, um but it's like that's just it's just not the great like look I guess you know, in order to do it um it sucks for everyone I mean nobody wants to see people lose their jobs and stuff and you know COVID's been a tough time for a lot of people so um hopefully everybody's able to uh, bounce uh, bounce back and uh, land on their feet in a short time and uh, you know maybe with some of these jobs that are gone maybe when we get back to having test rugby hopefully you know some of them will be able to you know get those jobs back too yeah a lot of these jobs do seem to be connected with um actual pet like obviously tickets events uh team manager positions um Al-Sharon obviously um being the alumni relations officer uh, these all are connected because um vanson has said that um they are expecting a shortfall as all um professional rugby unions are um this year um so they've had like donations from Sport Canada, uh, World Rugby, uh, donations, sorry, grants. Um, they have had um, a small um, a contributions of donations, fundraising, merchandise sales, sponsorship. Um, but it's about it's less than fifteen million dollars, which sounds like a lot to us i mean i'd love to be donated 15 million dollars but uh for a professional organization it's um obviously not enough um they have tim powers um said the governing body they're running a number of different models to see reducing in size and expenditure and revenue collection from 25 to 60 percent so from the rugby canada point of view it looks like they're want they're not wanting to do this obviously but you know the situation is what it is and taking into account these kind of things um as for the halloween weekend i'll be honest i had no idea it was going on i i had assumed that all rugby had been cancelled but i didn't even know but obviously because what just hadn't been happening they yeah. weren't promoting the event yeah it so wasn't exactly no marketed idea. heavy during yeah. once they were um, I think they, annou- they announced it like in during COVID too, like when it was still like like back in like March or April yeah, when it was, it was still like, like when it was still like yeah, it's like this this will you know when we were yeah, still after that, two like, weeks it'll we'll probably be, be like a couple of months. Everybody's got it like maybe a month when everyone will be like locked up inside. Um, when they were actually still like thinking that we could plan stuff. So yeah, yeah. unfortunate. But well, uh, I'm I'm hoping for 2021 that to make yeah. up for this, uh, both days become double headers. And we can uh, have more games going on. And, you know, you can yeah. increase the ticket price for it. Uh, and maybe, I don't know, move it to uh, Toronto. Uh, yeah, I know oh, it'll be man, cold, but I, uh, any, any, I, I will go to any, any rugby to go to game Vancouver. at this point. I'll take any excuse to go to Vancouver. They can keep it in Vancouver. I'll fly to Vancouver. Vancouver is awesome. You know what? So will I. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what? The, the fans have been really understanding about this as well. I mean, you know, uh, I don't think I've seen a negative comment about it. You know, it's it's tough, but I think everyone understands yeah, COVID's it's, effect on the on yeah. the sports sporting world. You know what? We kind of have to like. And unless Dan, you do you got anything else that we, we need to talk about here? Or are we about to kind of wrap it up? Okay. I think so. All right. So in wrapping it up, though, the one thing that we never did do, which I think we should, what is your actual arrows backline? They're playing the do or die game tomorrow or the MLR championship, which, yes, they're going to be playing in. It'll be probably against a Western Conference team. I can guarantee that. But, um, <laughs> but who would your lineup be your backline do or die game Toronto arrows everybody's healthy everybody's available let's hear um Ferguson at nine Adams at 10 Detroit and Lesage in my midfield uh, Montero Tuchelet wings and then Gonzalez at fullback all right all right I think Stu let's let's see yours let's hear yours so um, with my uh, me constantly saying that uh, you know you need to bleed the youngsters, get them international experience. I chose the youngest players in each of their positions. It's a do or die championship yeah. game, still. Exactly, not, exactly. You, you need prospect. you need the energy. You need the energy ready to go. You need said, to have. They're all talented. I didn't they're say a developmental or a preseason game. I said a do or die game, the best possible lineup you can put out. Yeah. And this, let and him, this let is him have his things, yeah. Derek. <laughs> and this is who I'd pick. I would pick uh, Higgins and Kelly as the uh, back, as the signing backs. Um, on the wings, I would have Sheridan and Montero. Centers, I'd have Jones and Richardson. And fullback, I'd have Gonzalez. I mean that 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 is the youngest players. Yeah, I'm not sure that's what I would roll with in a do or die game, but those are the youngest players at each position. Um, and I have full confidence in them. Full confidence. That they would, that's uh, how good this team is. Uh, um, but then again, that, it is actually a decent starting, lineup, though. If that's that my is, starting fifteen, just imagine what the bench is going to have. Yeah. Oh, I see. You're going with my my Springbok esque idea. Um, I would go with. I, I've kind of like I was kind of debating this one, but it's like I think I would might go with. And I'm kind of bored. Uh, all right, I'll just go with them. Ferguson, Adams, uh, obviously your halfback pairing. And then I would put in the centers, I'm going to put Tukale and Lesage. And then my back three, so my wingers, I'm going to go with Montero, Mirez, and Gonzalez. Yeah, that's, that's a lineup. That's, <laughs> that is a lineup. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think uh, either or... I, I, fantastic yeah. lineups. I think. I mean, you could do Detroit and then have Detroit at center and then have Tukale in the back or something too. But yeah, there's, there's that, that's what I had. I had Detroit at yeah. twelve and then Tukale at a wing. It's yeah. going to be very interesting to see what uh, what the arrows come up with when they actually start playing some games. Um, but that's where we're going to end it to, uh, today, gentlemen. I guess we're not actually recording that night, but it doesn't matter for anybody else because we don't. Who knows when you listen. Um, if you guys want to uh, listen or watch more of our podcasts, you can find us at YouTube. Um, you can also like and follow our Facebook page, which also has all of our videos and links to our podcast, which is available on all of the platforms. Um, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Again, I hope everyone in Canada enjoyed their turkey and their pie and all of their fine foods.